Acuna smashes this to center. Don't even bother chasing it. My goodness. A homer in all three games in the series. And Ronald Acuna is saying, MVP? That sounds pretty good to me. 454. Hey. Now. Hey. Now. Hey. Now. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> hey now. Welcome to season 13, episode 17 of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett. That was Paul Sepentant. Paula Bennett. Uh it is September 4th, 2023. The day before school starts, Paula. No. What grade are you going into? Second, I'm not excited for the bus. You're not excited for the bus? Why not? Because I don't know a lot of people. Well, it's a great show today, the Sportscasters. We have Michelle Tafoya is making her debut on the Sportscasters. She spent three decades in sports media, including long stints as the sideline reporter for Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football. She was on the Falcons' sideline in 2006 when the Saints returned home. And, of course, Steve Gleason blocked Michael Kanan's punt uh, on the fourth play from scrimmage. She'll talk about that play, as well as Drew Brees' 400th touchdown pass. She was on the sideline for Sunday Night Football for that. Uh, against Dallas in uh, 2015. So we'll have Michelle Tafoya on today as well. We'll have Stuart Mandel on to preview college football season. We had the first weekend of college football this weekend. We just seen Florida State. And I just had my second game of the season for Little Leagues. Yeah, Little League football has started. College football has started. It was a very hot one. It was hot today at Paula's game. And then Thursday will be the start of the NFL. So we made it. We are here. Football is here. Uh, I'm a little excited for being a cheerleader again because I don't have to be um, in next year. Yeah, talking to the mic, baby. Um, and next year it's gonna be really fun. Yeah. Cause uh, I don't get, I don't have, I um, I get to do the full field, so that means we don't have to be in line. That's gonna be so much better. Stuff like that. We can just be. It just had to be in a straight line across the whole field. So next year, the boys play the full field with points and stuff. Uh huh. With like actual points. Oh, that's gonna be so much better. Yeah, Paul's. So Paul's a cheerleader for little league football here. But the boys that play in the game, they only play from the thirty yard line in, and they just keep switching sides. They only use thirty yards of the field, and they don't keep score, and they run the clock. It's really boring football to watch. But they Uh-oh. do do um they do do the coin toss. Yeah, I don't know why they bother. Um, it's really boring to watch, but I only really go to watch Paula. But it'll be better next year when I can go to watch Paula and see good football. So that'll be good. But the NFL is here. Um, we're gonna have two podcasts this week. Two. Yes, the first one is out obviously today on Monday. Today. And then I'll put one out on Thursday morning. Thursday. The first day of the NFL season. 
before the Chiefs and Lions play. And on that episode, we'll do a... Remember the old Sports Illustrated magazines would come out? It would be the football preview issue. We're going to do a, a podcast version of that with Tyler Dunn. And then we're going to have uh, the authors of a Chiefs book on as well. So uh, today we'll do Tafoya and Mandel. We'll, we'll talk to, to Michelle. She'll tell us all about her career. Uh, then we'll preview college football with Stuart. Then on Thursday's episode, we'll preview the NFL season with Tyler Dunn. And we'll do a book club NFL book with the Chiefs guys, Paula. So, I was thinking that Daddy could do a funny, any of the players from the Mighty Duck just do a funny impression of them. And then I gotta guess which one you are. It can be from season one, season two, or season three. Okay. Uh, I shoot the puck really hard. And I hang out in the alley. And now I got a really hard slap shot. And I talk like this. Um, and people thought I had a football scholarship, but I didn't. I don't know. One half of the Bash Brothers. Um, I'm Fulton Reed. The, the dude with the bandana. Yep. Okay, I gotta do one. Okay. Howdy, partner! Let's get rounded <laughs> up and get ready to move! Yeah, that's the cowboy. <laughs> yep. He's a great... Puck handler, right? Yeah. The Chiefs book, by the way, is Kingdom Quarterback, and the authors Kingdom are Mark Dent and Rustin Dodd. We'll talk about that more during the book club. More. All right. First things first. Um, the Braves. Braves. They just won three of four against the Dodgers in L.A. Uh, they um, they will. They're ninety and forty six. Um. They're unbelievable. They're expected to win, I think, 107 games at this point. Could be more, could be less. They have about 25 games left. Here's the good news, though. Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, and Charlie Morton have all been very good the last month. Uh, they've been very good after a, a kind of a bad July. Uh, August was much better, uh, and they look ready for the playoffs, and they're going to be very tough to beat. But they are in a position where if they don't win the World Series, it's a bust of a year. When you, when you play this well in the regular season, you got to finish it or it's just a waste of a year. Um, so let's follow the Braves. Let's see what happens. But this is the – after this three wins against the Dodgers here, this is the most excited I've been about them potentially winning the World Series. This whole year you've heard me kind of follow them and say, you know, they don't have Max Free, They don't have Kyle Wright. They're injured. They're, they're wearing out the bullpen. The starters aren't good. You know, then the starters were good, and then the bullpen was bad, and – you know, it just always felt like there was another shooter drop. They're too dependent on home run, whatever. They've really started to feel like more and more of a complete team the last three weeks. So have a good September, but they don't have the pressure they had last September when they were trying to chase down the Mets. And I really think that exhausted them. There should be no reason they're not fresh and ready for the playoffs this year. And I still believe that Max Fried first start in the NLDS is important. But I think that Strider and Elder and Morton have been so good that he could lose it and they still might be all right, which I didn't feel like that way two weeks ago. Uh, also, Calcio has started. Uh, football is back. Soccer is back. It's back in England. It's back in you know, Germany. Bundesliga has started. Liga 1 has started. La Liga has started. And, of course, Serie A has started in Italy. I watched a little bit of the Juventus game today. Federico Chiesa had a great goal. Uh, there's too much soccer. It, ha it shouldn't have started already. Uh, but at the end of the games today came my favorite part of any 
club soccer season and that's international break. Uh, and I wanted to mention some changes with the Azuri. Uh, obviously, you've probably heard Robert Mancini left the Azuri. Uh, he resigned his position and then conveniently, within a day or two, had an offer to coach the Saudi Arabia national team for 25 mil a year. And that's where he is. Uh, Italy has hired Spalletti, who was the coach of uh, Napoli last year, won the Scudetto. Uh, and he has picked his first lineup for the two games next weekend. Um, and I'm looking really forward to, to seeing the game. Saturday is Italy's first game uh, since last season. And then Sunday is the Saints game. So I'm really looking forward to that. But as far as the call-ups, uh, you know, the, the goalies are the same. Donnarumma, Merritt, Provedel, and Vicario. Uh, really strong. Maybe the best four goaltenders in the world. Uh, defense, I thought, was really good. Uh, Scalvini, Bastoni. Uh, these games, it's the start of the, best, the Bastoni-Scalvini era. Uh, nobody has better left-backs in the world than us with DiLorenzo and Spinozola. And Udagi, who didn't even get called, people are mad about that, but he'll be he'll be called soon enough. Look at there's a lot of pressure with these two games against Ukraine and North Macedonia. They kind of have to win both, and also he just started, so I think he leaned into experience a little bit. He couldn't flip the whole team and expect them to go out and win. I think he needed to call Immobile and Cristanti and some of the vets that were called. Uh, but I think their dates are numbered. I think by the time we get to the Euros next year, assuming we can qualify. Um, I think you're going to see a much younger and really lean and really good, really talented Italy team. And I'm really looking forward uh, to that. And I'm looking forward to Spalletti. And I believe in him. He's a Scudetto winning coach. Um, I think it was a great choice. Um, and I can't wait, you know, for the games this weekend. Really excited uh, for them. Uh, Pearl Jam's on tour. The Pearl Jam tour started uh, in Minneapolis this weekend. I was going to go to these shows, but. They're playing nine shows. It's taking like 22 days. So there's an off day between every show. You know, you can't travel on the day of the shows. So to see two shows, it would have been a couple grand probably. So I'm going to go to Indy next weekend. I think I'm going to Indy next weekend. And if I do, I'll tell you more about that after. Um, so a busy week, a busy weekend ahead, a busy day here at the Sportscasters, a busy week of the Sportscasters. All right, so one more time. Episode 17 today, Michelle Tafoy is next. Stuart Mandel will preview the college football season after that. Uh, then season 13, episode 18 is out Thursday. Um, Tyler Dunn from golongtd.com. We'll, him and I will do a SI preview issue. We'll go through the teams. We'll go through the playoffs, the leagues, the surprise teams. We'll pick Super Bowl winners. And then we will have on uh, Mark Dent and Rustin Dodd to talk about their book about the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs called Kingdom Quarterback. It's perfect timing for that because they'll be on that night on Thursday kicking off the season without Chris Jones uh, against the Lions. So looking forward to that. So that's the week. Uh, we're going to do Tafoya next, then we'll do Book Club, then Mandel, and then Plugs, and one last thing. I wanted to mention real quick, after this is done, I think we did a great job previewing football this year. If you look back, we had... Field Yates do a fantasy preview. Stuart Mandel did a college. Tyler Dunn did a Sports Illustrated NFL. Um, we had Aaron Schatz do a, you know, NFL, like a digital, you know, uh, numbers analytics type of uh, preview. And we're going to do preview uh, media with uh, Andrew Marchand next week. So 
Really did a good job previewing football this year. Really excited. So glad it's here and really excited for you here. Uh, this interview with Michelle Tafoya. So let's take a break. We'll be right back. Making her debut, Michelle Tafoya. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins. Paula Bennett and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing this morning? I am really well. How are you? I'm doing good here in uh, beautiful Buffalo, New York. It's nice to talk to another person who knows what a cold winter is like. <laughs> yeah, we have that in common, yes. for sure. Do you, ever, um, do you ever go to the Minnesota high school hockey tournament? You know, I've never been. I have watched because they televise it. Yeah, here, yeah. You know, it's a big deal. I watch the streams. Uh, I, I've watched the streams. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah, I have. I mean, it is a big deal, um, but I have not been there in person. I don't know if I'll get there. Neither of my kids plays hockey. We right. tried, and it just didn't take. Maybe <laughs> my California blood is still in them. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, So I haven't had a, a, a personal reason to go, but it's really entertaining. It's exciting. You can, you can feel that energy even through the television set. I, I think it's one of the best sporting events in america especially for oh that's so cool especially for high school i mean it's in the top yes you know it's in the top five sporting events for high school in america i i would agree i I would agree there's no other high school hockey tournament so you just start there that sells out the nhl arena you know for four straight days or whatever um but I i just thought i'd ask you about that it's always been it's always been one of those things my brother played d1 at yale and a couple of his friend a couple of his teammates were um you know from minnesota so and i met him hey did you play in the tournament you know and hear the stories yeah. about just missing it or whatever and you're in a, right. you, you're in a diner is that right i am in that neck of the woods and okay. my brother-in-law uh, is actually from alexandria minnesota and played at the u so i i do have some hockey in the family but it's just not in the bloodlines yeah when my brothers in 2013 my brother's team won the national championship and their first mm. their first game was against Minnesota, who was loaded that year, and they beat, yeah. beat them in overtime. Got lucky, but um, yeah, wow. You were headed. It seemed like you were going to buck the family tradition and go to Stanford, and that <laughs> and then legend has it that you went to visit your sister in the fall, and you went to a football game, and it happened to be the game that me and my daughter always goof about. She loves when I tell her the band's on the field, the band's on the field. <laughs> Is that why, is that really why you went to Cal? Because you just got, I mean, once you saw the trumpet player or whatever get knocked into the, the turf, guy. the trombone guy, there was uh, no way you could go to Stanford after that, right? Well, look, I think there was a lot of influence. There were a lot of influences. Both my parents went to Cal. My oldest sister went to Cal. And yes, she was a senior when I went up there to visit. And I went and I visited the Stanford campus and 
didn't get the nicest greeting there. Um, so that was kind of strange. Uh, and then went over to Berkeley for, you know, what I thought was a routine bonfire rally the night before the game and then the big game the following day and saw this tradition. The stadium is beautiful. And then, of course, the game happened. And we just went out all night and went from party to party celebrating that game and making fun of John Elway and all the rest. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And and so – so yeah, the the really really wise eighteen year old brain of mine said, "I'm going to Cat. I'm gonna you know," but no, I had originally really wanted to go to Stanford and was accepted, and I just that that weekend kind of changed things for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that you know Cal had every recruit they ever wanted there that day. Because I mean, <laughs> no kidding, what a, no kidding. You know, like what a. A historic. Well, who are some of your favorite Cal players? Like you, you, well, you, you into Rogers and Lynch and those guys is your people, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. those guys were after me. Yeah. Um, you they know, were? I, I, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. You're so sweet. You're very sweet. Aren't you? You know, I love Joe Cap and he was the coach uh, at yeah. that game. And he was, um, he was a player when my parents were in college. So it was an interesting little thread through all of that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly, when I was in school there, I was such a studious little fool that I didn't go to a lot of games while I was there. Um, but I, I certainly, Aaron and I bonded, Aaron Rodgers and I bonded when he got to Green Bay as a rookie and I went and we were there for some of their camp and I, I talked to him quite a bit about it. And he and I sort of Bonded over that for the rest of our NFL relationship. Um, So, yeah, it's it's and Marshawn, of course, was tremendous. And he's been back to campus. And um, it's just uh, I have some very clear memories of that particular game and and other games after that. (laughs) Marshawn's been back to campus. They had to lock up all the golf carts. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, uh, The. I was I was looking around. You had said that you thought your master's degree that you went on to get was a big reason that you broke in to sports media. You thought that that gave you an advantage in retrospect, even though it wasn't necessarily. I don't think you got a master's degree in broadcasting or anything. I think it was something. else. No, but I didn't. I, I think I read a quote where you said that you just thought that that gave you a big advantage. It gave me an edge when I first came to Minnesota, and I, I I started in Charlotte in radio, came to Minnesota to work in radio, and at the time I got here, I don't, a lot of people might not remember this, but the Minnesota Timberwolves were for sale, and they were going to move down to New Orleans, and I followed the story from a different angle, right, I think, than most, yes, yeah, the business, business side, the cash flow, the, all that return on investment. And I held the owners to account, and I interviewed Harv and Marv, uh, the, the two owners of the Timberwolves, about it. I went down for the hearings. I mean, I really covered it closely, and I just had a different sort of perspective about it. Um, so, yeah, it, and it, it, it did give me an edge in covering that story. I felt really, really qualified to look at it from the viewpoint that I did, and so – it didn't necessarily help me get into the business, but it certainly gave me a leg up on what was then one of the biggest sports stories in Minnesota history. Those poor Newhouse kids, Syracuse Newhouse kids, trying to keep up with you with the with the ah. NBA and <laughs> with the NBA at the, down at the courthouse. You know, like wait, 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 Michelle, what are they? 
What are they talking about here? Uh, <laughs> you also said, and you're talking kind of about timing too, that you thought you broke in one of your big jobs, the first big jobs you got was when the NFL contract was was stolen. Well, stolen is not the right word. Uh, Fox swept in and and shocked the world, right? Getting the NFL contract. Uh, right. Uh, there, not, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners and viewers are, are a lot younger. But, yes, there was a time when CBS was considered the, what they called the Tiffany Network. It had yep. everything. Yep. They had the and it had, had it, yep, they, and they had the Olympic Games and they had so much. And, as you said, Fox, this upstart network, swept in and outbid them for the NFC. And so CBS lost the NFL, which was, you know, we all know it's a massive revenue maker. And um, and, and so th- they lost all their talent. John Madden went to Fox. Pat Summerall went to Fox. Leslie Visser left. Um, you know, jo- Jim Nance was about the only guy that stayed because he wanted to continue to cover the Masters. But um, so here was CBS with very little, uh, you know, on their their recipe list of things to broadcast and or inventory, I guess you could say. And so, yeah, Gus Johnson and I were hired about this time. And, you know, we were a couple of no names willing to do this work for probably less money than than other people were. And, and that was my break into network television. Yeah, I remember as a kid, like Sean McDonough was on CBS calling the baseball games. I think he took over for Buck, for Jack yeah. Buck. But I remember the, um, you know, they had the baseball playoffs. The World Series was there. Like you said, oh, the yeah. Olympics. You know, when I was growing up, those big 49ers versus, you know, Giants games and Summerall and Madden were always on CBS. Yeah, and and yes. so the, the the doom of every kid's weekend. I remember <laughs> being at my dad's house and Pat Summerall would be like, and next, except on the West Coast, 60 minutes. And then you knew the weekend was over. You're like, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, fortunately, there is Sunday night football. Uh, you had um, at CBS, you did the Nagano, the 98 Olympics in Tokyo, which I love that Olympics because it was the first time the NHL players played in the Olympics. And um, Correct. Yeah, Czech Republic shocked really Dominic Hasek, who's a big celebrity, obviously, in Buffalo here. Um, yep. Played most of his Hall of Fame career here. Kind of stole the show, beating Canada in the semifinals in a shootout. I was try- I know you did night hosting. And I was trying to find more about what you did, and all I could find was an old New York Times article from Richard Sandemir, who said that you were interviewing someone, a foreign athlete, at the opening ceremonies, who said their favorite U.S. celebrities were. Um, Mariah Carey and oh man, I'm gonna forget the other one. Oh, I, and I don't even remember it was this right. interview. Carey and somebody. <laughs> That's all oh, you can goodness. find on the internet about two things. Michelle Tafoya was a night host, and she and and Sandemir, who was basically he was he was not giving it a great review. The opening ceremonies for whatever reason, you know. Yeah, well, TV we, media, you know, media critics are grouchy, and he was being yeah, grouchy. Well, and then he was, well, and yeah. Go ahead. I was very green too, and yeah. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Uh, so I probably deserved any criticism that I got. But I will say that uh, the hosting that late night gig was tremendous. Yeah. I worked with Al Troutwig, and and if you really search, you'll see. I'll pat myself on the back because it was the most encouraging. One of the most encouraging things that happened to me in my young career was that the Wall Street Journal gave me a gold medal for my work on the on the late night show, which I so appreciated. Um, it was really fun. It was fun to anchor that. It was 
a fun show. We did a lot of creative things. And so, yeah, I was really lucky, really fortunate to have that gig. It, it actually, in Nagano, working late night meant you were working during the day. I was going to say, a lot of live sports, yeah. right? Because of the time difference. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. That's really that's really cool. And then eventually, obviously, you start doing one season CBS Sideline Reporter there uh, for CBS, but eventually you get to ESPN. And I want to ask, so I'm a big Saints fan. I know that's weird. I'm you know, in Buffalo growing up here. Um, but it's actually a Minnesota connection. When I was a kid, there was this Sunday afternoon, 1985, and I thought that the whole family would be interested in coming into my bedroom and listening to a Sabres North Stars preseason game on the radio. Um, oh. But my parents informed me that no, that they'd be watching the Bills game on the TV in the living room, and I got pissed off, so I hated the Bills. And oh my god, yeah, and I did. Such a there's a lot of child psychiasy. Yeah, right isn't there. that crazy? I really love to delve into that. Yeah. And then finally, my dad got me to watch football one day because I banned football because of it. You know, I only wanted yeah. to watch hockey and baseball at the time and wrestling. And uh, he finally gets me to watch a game. It's the Saints and Vikings. It's the '87 season, the strike, and then the. Uh, 88 playoffs, I guess it's January of 88. And my dad's like, this team, they, their fans wear bags on their heads and, you know, they always stunk and this is their first playoff game. And, you know, if it wasn't for the strike, they probably wouldn't even been playing today, but their scabs lost a couple games. And so the 49ers are the, you know, he's telling me the whole story. And they, and his pet swing is a strip sack, and Bobby Abair throws a, a touchdown like, on the fourth play of the game, <laughs> and the, the dome's like going nuts. And I'm like, this is amazing. The, the, yeah. the coach looks like my grandfather, Jim Mora, you know, this old Italian guy, <laughs> gray hair. I'm like, this team's amazing. And then they lost like 48 to 10. And I just, I watched every second and was just like, how did this happen to them? How could this have happened? It's, you know, it, yeah. I was just in for life. Um, it's it's an amazing way that young kids find their teams. It really is so interesting. I grew up with, a, I grew up in Manhattan Beach, California. You were either a Rams fan or maybe you were a Niners fan as I grew up, um, but mostly you were a Rams fan or a Raiders fan. Uh, but of my, one of my dear friends growing up in Manhattan Beach, California, was a massive Vikings fan because he fell in love with Fran Targenton and the way he played yeah. the game, and he's been a Vikings fan ever since. It's just a, it's really interesting. Yeah, you get Dolphins fans all over the country just because they love Dan Marino. You right know, or whatever that, that yeah that's very common uh but i i have a couple saints moments i want to talk to you about because i've been lucky over the years um and this first one actually i got to talk to trico about now i was watching last night and you i don't know how you and Susie colbert worked this out but in 2006 you know week three the the dome reopens and it's yeah. a big night for new orleans and for some reason you got stuck trying to make the falcons interesting um, all, <laughs> all your side ride reports were about the Falcons, who might as well have been the Washington Generals that night. You know, nobody <laughs> cares about the Falcons. But I got to know from your perspective where you were, what you remember about. So on the third play from scrimmage, Scott yeah. Fu- Scott Fujita sacks or strips, I guess, uh, um, Michael Vick. And the ball bounces right to a Saints defensive back who tries to scoop it. And would have probably ran in for a touchdown, and he 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 blew it right, knocks it out of, out of bounds. So then, this is the moment I want to know what you remember about. So then they punt, and I can hear Mike Tirico talking about the punter Michael Kanan, who had missed six of eight field goals already. I can't believe he still had a job. Um, obviously, they had Morton Anderson there that night kicking field goals, so he was done with that for sure. But they're still letting the guy punt, 
And Steve Gleason obviously comes down the middle, blocks the punt. It's one of the most amazing moments in sports history, in my opinion. Mike Trico, is, after he says touchdown New Orleans, he doesn't talk for like two minutes. And it's, yeah. it's until the extra point. It's just, you know, camera looking at this, looking at that. What do you remember about the moment? I'm curious, since you were in the building well, that night. It was a phenomenal. The, the first thing I remember when you mentioned that game, it's reopening the dome after Hurricane Katrina. A lot of celebrities there. Uh, just the, the Saints are coming plays at the very beginning. Right. The place was nuts. The place was nuts. And then Steve Gleason makes that play and – I, I can still feel the goosebumps. I mean, that's what I remember is just the goosebumps. And it was so smart of Mike Tirico and everyone in the booth and, and everyone in the production of that game to just shut up yeah, and let the moment play. Let the moment play. That is that is one of the biggest mistakes anyone can make in sports broadcasting is talking over a moment where you don't need to talk because the pictures and the audio are telling you everything you need to know. And particularly in television, obviously. And it was such a magical moment. And, you know, of course, Steve Gleason since then, you know, he's suffering. Yeah. And um, I adore that guy. I just love him. And he is—he's <laughs> a saint in New Orleans. Yeah. He is actually just so revered, and um, so yeah, that was that was an incredible moment, and it is memorialized all over the Saints' the facility down there, and just kind of everywhere in New Orleans. Yeah, and that was one of the—that's part of the heated rivalry versus the the Falcons and the Saints when the Saints built the statue, the rebirth statue outside of the dome with. Um, you know, the punt, the you know, Gleason blocking the punt. Um, the Falcons wouldn't let them, or I don't know, there was some argument or whatever. The Falcons didn't want their logo on the statue. So that pissed oh, off Saints God. fans. Just, you know, another layer of anger in the uh, in well, one of the that's, best rivalries. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a great rivalry. Yeah. It is a tremendous rivalry. We, I actually spent like, I think it was like $50 when their stadium opened. We all collected money in the Saints world to buy a 28 to 3. Uh, bull, uh, billboard in downtown Atlanta oh, wow. uh, for the weekend they opened their new stadium. I think what's <laughs> I think they got it blocked though. The other game I wanted to mention, really wanted to mention, because it's it's kind of an underrated game, but it's one of my favorite Saints plays. And I was trying to, I'm sure you interviewed Breeze after this, but you know you got the the sideline reporters union needs to crack on these um, people who put full games on YouTube. Because they cut before your big moment, you know, all, all of them. Like last <laughs> night, I'm trying to. But anyway, so it's uh, Saints and Cowboys. It's a Sunday night football game. And um, uh, it's uh, 20 to 20 versus Dallas, and it goes to overtime. Now, um, the Saints missed like a 30-yard field goal that hit the upright um, and bounced to the right but, you know, didn't fall in. Um, Tony Romo had a like a collarbone injury. He wasn't playing. Whedon played. Whedon tied the game late. And on the second play from scrimmage in overtime, Breeze hit C.J. Spiller. This was C.J. Spiller's one highlight as a Saint. He hit C.J. Spiller on a wheel route. Um, It looked like the Cowboys got confused for an 80-yard TD, which happened to be Drew Breeze's 400th TD um, of his career. And I remember watching that at home and obviously it's a night game so i think you know my wife was asleep my daughter wasn't born yet but 
you know, usually in those night games, it gets to that point. I try to just kind of be quiet. You know, you don't want to wake anyone up. And I remember just sitting back up on my couch, kind of like, I think during the commercials, waiting for the game to come back and like saying to myself, you have to enjoy this. Because we were one and three at the time and it had been a rough start to the year. It's 2015, I believe. I remember just saying like, you have to, Drew Brees is only going to be here for so long. You know, I remember just really having that realization that night and trying to appreciate every moment that we were blessed to have with him. Yeah. Um, uh, do you remember anything about the game? That's maybe kind of a random moment, but well, uh, I remember, know. I remember the 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 touchdown and uh, his, that it was his 400th. And the, yes, I did get to interview him after the game, and it was one of my favorite interviews with Drew. He he was just we had prepared for that moment and he delivered and we got that moment and the post-game interview was pretty cool. Um, so that's what I remember about it. And, you know, you're right. Drew Brees is an unbelievable, just was an unbelievable player and for his height in particular. And yes, there are shorter quarterbacks, but they usually run. More than him, right? They're usually yeah. yeah. I, I think I think that's a fair. They're more like Kyler Murray usually. They're more like Kyler Murray usually at that height than Drew Brees. They scamper yeah, and they yeah yeah because yeah. they can hide. Well, Drew wasn't that kind of a scrambling quarterback. You're correct. And and I talked to his receivers about that, and they said, yeah, sometimes you don't see the ball when it's thrown. You just have to look for it coming out from behind the offensive line. And then so, also, people remember Drew Brees often threw off of his toes. You know, a lot of quarterbacks are just planting and they're throwing so that they can get their legs into it and, and their torso. Drew would often be up on his tippy toes because he had to see what he was doing. Yeah. So uh, he, you know, he, he's he played a, on his toes pretty much. You know what I mean? He did. Yeah. yeah. I, he's, uh, it's fun to watch. In 2019, the Saints had just had in 17, the, the Minnesota Miracle, which I'm sure you remember, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is a disappointing moment, believe it or not, for me. But mm-hmm. then I remember saying the next year, I remember saying, like, look at this year's gravy because no matter what happens, it can't end worse than that. And of, course, <laughs> of course, 2018, the game gets stolen from us. Now, look at I can handle getting beat, right? Stefan Diggs just beat us. Marcus yeah. Williams made a mistake. I don't know what yes. happened to him in that moment. Whatever, it's a bad moment. You can accept that. You got beat, right? Whatever. But to have a game stolen, I was just talking about this last night with some friends. Like, people tell you to get over it. You never get over it when you lose that way. But so then, (laughs) 2019, it's a Monday Night Football game, week one, and Breeze, the defense had failed so spectacularly to hold the lead against Watson and the Texans that Breeze basically had three plays to get him in field goal range and Will Lutz at like a 59-yard field goal to win it. And I was so pumped up that I just booked a trip to New Orleans. Like I got, I had, I'd had like three surgeries in 289 days. I was starting to feel better. I was like, I'm just, I'm, I got to go back to the Dome. I got to see Breeze in the Dome. So I book a trip for a couple weeks later, and the next week Breeze smashes his thumb on Aaron Donald's helmet. <laughs> I'm not laughing yep. so at now, the injury. Yeah. I'm not. You're I'm laughing at my dopiness, of, my impulsive, oh, my impulsiveness. Bad luck, yeah. man. That's just bad luck. He missed like three home games the entire stint yeah. of, you know, as a saint. And that was one of them. So I, um, you know, I'm obviously going to go anyway. Teddy Bridgewater played. We beat the Buccaneers. It's still a great game. And I, I text my friend Joe Buck. I spent like 45 minutes typing this text like 30 different ways. So I'm all nervous to ask for a favor. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to the games. Anyway, I can get a field pass. 
I tell you, before I put the phone down, the bubbles popped up, and he was texting back, sure, already. Aww. Anyway, I got to go on the field and walk around, and Drew came out. He was injured, so he came out in shorts and a T-shirt, and he was exercising his thumb on the field. And then I yeah. think he was doing some visualizations, you know, running through some drives with just him and himself. And I guess yeah. there was a bunch of players in front of him that only he could see. And then basically he walked right over to me. And uh, I didn't want to shake his hand because I was nervous that I'd be on the headlines. Dopey fan, you know, ruins Breeze's thumb worse with goofy right. handshake. And he's out another eight weeks. So I hugged him. And I don't think he really wanted a hug. But it was still a nice <laughs> Touching hug, and I said thank you for making all my dreams as a sports fan come true. But um, uh, the the funny thing about Breeze and your career is, as soon as you went to Sunday Night Football from Monday Night Football, he started breaking all the records on Monday Night Football. Right? He broke <laughs> Marino's um, uh, uh, passing yardage record on Monday Night Football. He broke the all time passing yards touched uh, against Washington on on. Uh, Monday Night Football, and he broke um, consecutive touchdown passes. Oh, no, that was on Sunday Night Football. You had that, Sunday Night Football, the consecutive touchdown passes. When they planted out the NFL, those devious NFLers planted out for an in-San Diego game against the Chargers. Yeah. For, you yeah. remember that night with him when he broke? Of course. Yeah, that was another good one. You know, you talked a lot about your relationship with Al Michaels and how important you thought that was to your career and how you thought that that really helped you get jobs along the way. You worked with Al, you worked with Chirico, you know, um, you work with some great play-by-players. What is, what, how important is the relationship between the guys upstairs and you down on the sideline and trying to coordinate the interviews and get your moments in and pay off your research? Can you tell me, because I don't talk to a lot of sideline reporters as compared to announcers maybe. What's the dynamic there and kind of having a rhythm and how important is that um, to the overall mechanics of what you did on the field? It's really important. It's important to have their their respect for your work ethic and and how you've prepared and what you're bringing to the table. All that stuff's important. Um, and Al and I clicked. We did an NBA game, Christmas Day game together, and he writes about it in his book because it was just a moment where we absolutely clicked. He paid off one of my reports beautifully, and I remember having goosebumps then too, and I thought, now that's a play-by-play announcer who appreciates the sideline reporter. Right, he gets it. Um, he gets it, yeah. and certainly my producer Fred Gadelli uh, on first on Monday night and then on Sunday night football uh, appreciate the sideline reporter role as well, and worked a lot with me. So um, it's all you're a team, and we turned into a family, and um, yeah, that's the that's about the only part that I really miss about you know because it is a slog every season is a slog we work i don't think people really understand how hard we work and um and then the travel on top of that and so you know it's it may seem like it's all glamorous it's there's a lot of work that goes into it but to get to your point yeah that the the they know they need to know that they can trust you that when they throw to you you're going to deliver something and that's why we work so hard. Uh, you can't just you can't waste time down there on the sideline. It's got to be meaningful. It's got to matter. It's got to advance the story. It's got to integrate into the whole picture of the game. And so that's and we don't we don't get it right every time. And you know, Fred Gadelli and I would have meetings after games and say, "Shoot, we missed one there." 
you know, I should have gone to you, Michelle, or, you know, whatever it was. Uh, but it's live television. You yeah. do the best you can. You actually, you talk about the grind. I, I was watching an interview with you tell, told the story about how your daughter left you a note after a season saying, I'm so glad football season's over. Yeah. And as a she, dad of a daughter, I was like, Ooh, that had to hurt, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was, that yeah. was a little rough. Yeah. That was a little rough. Um, now that they're teenagers, I don't even think they know I'm home. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. back then, my little angel girl, to see that note, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. But it's all they've ever known. I mean, when my husband and I got married, when we met, this is what I was doing. It's all we've ever known. And so now is more of an adjustment than it was then. The sports guests are here with Michelle Tafoya, who's kind enough to join me today, <laughs> making her debut, her dog as well. Um, yeah. That's couple Jersey. more, couple more, and I'll let you go. Uh, All right. The um, you went out on top. Uh, you know, I think it was five Super Bowls, uh, yep. and the last one was the the Rams Bengals one, and yep. you had a, a great a great interview with Aaron Donald, um, who gave you some 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 tears. I mean, it was it was really it was a, it was good. I was actually I was in the hospital watching that Super Bowl, and I remember oh, wow. laying there thinking like, oh, okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, and I was watching an interview you did with Dan Patrick the, the, the next day or a couple of days later, and you're talking about how you were kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't moment during that interview because um, I think it was Rodney Harrison had sort of mentioned in the pregame that that might be it for Donald, um, that he might walk away if they won, and that kind of started to become a story. So then you know you only got so much time with him, but you know you got to probably finish with that question. And you know he's probably not going to answer it. And you were talking about the the damn if you damn if you don't situation there. And I got I was thinking about that like I was thinking about that like out you know like more like man every time it seems like you, you how like a large percentage of the time that you do this you probably have one of those damned if you don't damned if you don't questions because you you only have what three or four questions I think he asked yeah. you do you know how long and you're like no but I know I'm gonna be told to wrap if I'm going too long and the chaos at the end, especially if it's Super Bowl, you know, the chaos yeah. on the field and all that. What about those sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't questions and maybe how they create a perception of sideline reporters that maybe isn't fair, you know, that maybe there's a perception, oh, they ask these, you know, questions anyone could ask. Yeah, but if they didn't, what would you say then, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's, uh, I mean, some questions are really obvious because they need to be asked because everyone's thinking of them. Right. So if you don't ask those, you're, you know, I, I've, I've done both. I've made the mistake of commission. I've made the mistake of omission and, and no one's ever going to agree with you on these. Um, Tory Smith lost his brother before a game that we did in Baltimore, the wide receiver. And I don't know if you remember that his brother was killed in an accident. Yep. And he agreed to be interviewed after the game. And some people thought we were absolutely horrible for interviewing this guy. He agreed to it. Um, our only regret on that interview is we should have, I should have asked him to tell me something about his brother. But it was such a tender, tenuous moment, you know, that we didn't, I, I didn't know how he was going to respond. I didn't know what he was going to do. And so that was a, an error of omission um, that we made, but we don't regret asking for the interview and, and, you know, he, he gave it. Um, but yeah, with Aaron Donald, I mean, yes, there are those questions all the time. Yeah. 
all the time and you wish you had them back. I mean, you ask any quarterback in the NFL or at any level, okay, take me through that game and, and ask me what you – or tell me what you wish you had done differently. There are throws they want back. There are moments they missed a guy. That's just what it is. And as a sideline reporter, you're kind of more like the field goal kicker in that your moment comes, you better make it count. If you do, great. If you don't, you're the GOAT. And I don't mean greatest of all time. Right. I mean, you're yep. kind of, you know. The Bill Buckner this, GOAT, that, the way we used exactly. to use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. Yeah. So it's just, it's part, it's, it's part of the risk that comes with this. It's a risk reward. Um, so it's, you know, but I, I, in total, you know, we, we, that's why we prepare as hard as we do. We try to make sure uh, that we're doing the right thing, but had to ask that question, especially since Rodney had gotten that info right. and passed it along. It, it, how can you not, if we had not asked it, it would have been lambasted. Right. You, they would have said you blew it. Uh, I'm curious about this. Do you, at, when you watch games now, um, is it, do you watch the, the um, sideline? Are you like in their shoes as you're watching? You know, like I asked Buck and Trico and Kenny Albert, all the play-by-play guys go on. Like when you're watching, you know, a game with a historic call at the end, do you think about, oh, that was a great one, or I would have done it this way, or wow, what a great moment for them? Like, are you in the are you in the moment in a way that no one else can quite understand when you see sideline reports and games at home? You know, the like, short answer is yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, the Demar Hamlin moment and Lisa Salters and and watching and and just imagining what she was going through and. Right. And she, you know, she did a really good job with that. And I remember thinking, I know what's going on. I know what's happening. I know what she's trying to get. I know how difficult this is going to be. I know how we would do this and so on and so forth. So, yes, that's that was a moment I stood there and, and just went through the mechanics in my head. You can't not. You can't not. It's it's nearly impossible to stand and not let something you've done for as many times as I've done it. Um, it's hard to just stand there and, and detach yourself from it and just observe. Um, so yeah, I think it's very easy to fall into that. This may surprise some people, but I don't, I don't watch a lot of football anymore. Um, you know, I'm watching my kids baseball and soccer and football and basketball and, and walking my damn dog. So it's, it's life is a little bit different, but, but the short answer to your question is yes. And when I was still an active sideline reporter, yes, I watched everything with great interest, hoping to learn again, what things you liked, what things you didn't like. You can learn that watching any broadcaster, no matter what their role is on a show. So um, I, I think, I think if anyone tells you they're not, I think they're missing an opportunity to learn. Yeah, and I did see on your Instagram you have a picture of a, a screenshot of you watching a Packers game like last year or something. So you still watch a little bit, I know. I do. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like I never do, but I uh but it's not not with not with the interest that I once did. Right. And your fa- it's not like what my family knows on Sundays they'll just see me Monday. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I, and and I, I get it and I that used to be me. That yeah. used to be me, especially when I lived on the West Coast. Man, it was great. You'd roll right. out of bed. Game started at ten a.m. and you were, you know, you were just sitting there on the couch all day long. It was fabulous. All day long. I was thinking about a couple moments. I wonder if you thought about, like, if you ever did a course, if you were like teaching in college or sideline reporters one hundred and one or something. I was thinking about the Jim Gray interview at the ninety. I think it was the ninety nine All Star game with Pete Rose. 
got a yeah. lot of talk. Did he did he railroad Rose a little bit? Did he push too hard? I know he kind of came out of that as a heel a little bit. You're not thinking about that one. Singing about Aaron with uh, Richard Sherman mm-hmm. and the tightrope she had to walk. She probably didn't want him to curse, but she also wanted to probably let him go a little bit. You know, let him shout and give her that great stuff. That's a, a super memorable one. Um, but and oh, the the poor kid who was in when the Monday Night Football was in Mexico City, and they went to him, and he probably was English, probably wasn't his first language, and oh yeah, and he got you know picked on on the internet stuff like that. You got to probably probably hits for you different, you know what I mean, than it does for us because you know what it's like to to be in those to be in those shoes. Well, you, yeah, no, no, go ahead. What's the go ahead? No, go I was just gonna say question. to kind of to finish up. Do you have? Do you have like two or three moments when you look back at your career that you're like, wow, I was there. I, I did that. I was in that moment. You know, that was that did it for me. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there there are I'm sure there's many. many. Yeah, I'm sure there's many. Yeah. yeah. Brett Favre, when he was with the Vikings after he beat the Packers for the first time at the Metrodome. Um, and I was fortunate because ESPN, that was a Monday night game. And they said, if, if Brett wins, you can go as long as you want in the post game interview. So that was an extra luxury. Um, you know, um, now I'm just trying to think cause there are just so darn many. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's just a, a really, it's a position of great fortune. If people stick around to listen to the interviews and it's, it's, it's I'm I'm thinking right now and there's so many moments that are flooding my brain that I can't even keep clear about them. But um, probably those Saints moments that I mentioned, though, right? Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, those, uh, you know, <laughs> those would be the all ones. the Saints moments. Uh, yeah, I just I'm sort of overcome with the idea. Uh, Kevin Garnett, when he finally won a, a, a world championship with the Celtics. And I had known Kevin since he was before he was even drafted. So that was really that special 09? for me. Is that 09, 08, something like that, right? It was 08. 08, yeah. 08. Yeah. That's... And he said anything's possible, and he screamed it out. And uh, that that's he opens his book with that story. So that was that was really fun. Uh, and then I actually got to go into the Celtics locker room after that and, and see Kevin celebrate, and and he he just hugged me. And um, so that's a that really was a, good one. That's a good one. That's a that was a good moment. I. Reggie Miller's last game. Again, I knew Reggie because he and I covered the WNBA together, and I was there uh, for his last game with uh, with the the, uh, Indianapolis with the Pacers, and so that was really fun. You know, I got to interview Michael Jordan. I will say this: the first time I talked to Michael Jordan, um, I made it a habit when I was in the NBA to send thank you notes to the players who gave me their time, and it paid off big time because the next time he saw me. He said, are you the one that sent me a thank you note, right? And I said, yes. And he said, well, you can interview me anytime ah, you want. Nice. You got the Amado so, Shad treatment after that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> not quite that. <laughs> not quite but, that. Good. Uh, yeah, but... Not quite that. But, yeah, I mean, um, Malcolm Butler, after the interception against Seattle in the Super Bowl, that one was memorable because he ran away from me and I had to chase him down. Um, you know, there, there's just so many. All right. Last thing. I'll kind of get you out of here on this. So. One thing about doing this show for me that's difficult is I know almost every time I do an interview, almost every time, I know I'm doing it with someone who views the world probably different than me and is more liberal than me. And to me, it's no big deal. 
You know what I mean? Very rarely do we talk about politics anyway. You know, normally I want to know your stories of being a sportscaster or whatever. Um, you know, but it has cost me an occasion. Someone like Jeff Perlman has been on many times. It was great to me. Um, liked to go into those realms with me and then held it against me eventually. Um, and, you know, it has been difficult at times. And it's also been difficult at times where I felt like there was something that was relevant that I wanted to talk about, but I held back because I knew what I said about it might not be popular or something, you know? And yeah. as me as an independent, someone doing this out of their bedroom that I'm sure you never even heard of me until a week ago, right? And I need you to <laughs> I need you to do me a favor. And if you know, the last thing I can I can have is like an awful announcing article, because they do write about me occasionally. You know, saying like, oh, this podcaster in Buffalo, he's this neo-Nazi or something, you know, because anything it seems like that once was moderate is now somehow not. Um, yeah. You've jumped in. You're fighting the fight in the in the most difficult places. I mean, The View, I watch clips, you know, which <laughs> seems like a lion's den. I give you a lot of credit uh, for going there, you know, and now you're doing a podcast. You're talking to so many great conservative voices and um i think it's important um I, I don't know i don't know exactly what the question i think the question is you know you're someone who has based on your, your career 30 years michelle defoy but it's cost you too i think in some ways right i mean it's not easy to do what we do and to think about things that we think even though some of those things even 10 years ago like barack obama thought yeah yeah no, it's not easy, but it's super important. I come from a family. My dad, you know, only one in his family of 11 kids who went to college. My mom, they were both born during the Depression. We did not have a, they did not have an easy life. They worked extremely hard to make a life a little better for their four kids. And now I've got two kids. And I see things happening in this country that concern me greatly starting with education starting with the border which my dad's family crossed legally and the the drugs the the foreign policy mistakes there is so much going on that i think is so detrimental to the health of this country yeah and um and the identity politics which i absolutely abhor i hate it it's brutal so uh, you know i i Yes, I. There are people who think I'm, you know, Dan Lebatard totally ambushed me on his podcast and and tried to make me look evil. And and he's the I one know who looked who I evil. Am. He's the one who looked evil. Yeah. Well, when you do that to I, someone, I, you know what I mean. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But you know, look, um, it's too important. There's a point you get to where you go. You know what? Uh, there's something bigger than me, and. I'm willing to put myself out there to fight for it. And, you know, we have so much that we take for granted in this country and we can't, or we're just going to wind up in the, you know, in a really bad place. And I see it trending that way. And so I thought, how can I look my kids in the eyes and tell them, yeah, I let the, you know, I didn't, I didn't fight for you. I didn't fight for your future. I can't, I can't look at anybody uh, in my neighborhood and in, in the, in my family. And I don't, that doesn't mean I expect everyone to do this, but I had to, I had to. And that is one of the big drivers of me leaving the NFL. Look, I, 
I could have stayed on another four years at NBC and done Sunday Night Football. I just couldn't. I couldn't hold it in anymore. I couldn't not take part in the effort to help turn the tide. And so um, that's where I am. And if I've lost some friends or some admiration of certain people or whatever that is, I, I, I can sleep better at night. Right. And that's what matters. That's amazing. And everyone, people like me appreciate people like you going out there, like I said, and fighting the really hard battles. Um, and your show's great. So many great conservative voices. Again, people who are out there fighting the really tough battles, um, putting their necks on the line. And I appreciate, yeah. you know, I, because of that Levitzard thing, you know, when I wrote the e- initial email to reach out, you know, I felt the need to say, make sure she knows this isn't that, you know, like yeah. I felt the need yeah. to say that, you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't want you to look at it and think, well, is this going to be another, you know, well, you smart know what, ass, though? you know what I mean? I trying was going to be ready for it regardless sure. because I, that is the one positive that came out of that. And believe me, it's a very small positive, but it, it did open my eyes to, wow, this guy, Levitard, who I used to work with, who I thought was friendly, uh, if that can happen, you know, first of all, do your due diligence, know what's going to happen here. Although they did email me and tell me the direction of the questioning. And it was not that I, I promise you. Right. Of course. Um, so yeah. know where you're going and also just be ready from now on, you know, not everyone's nice and just be ready, but you've been great. And I appreciate the questions and I appreciate the support, man. I really do. Yeah. Thank you so much. And it touches home too. I mean, my grandparents fled the Nazis in Italy and because my great my great grandma was actually born here in the turn of the century and her mother took her back to Italy so she was technically a citizen but she had to come and leave her children behind then fill out the paperwork get the sponsors my grandmother was 12 years old and she had to get on the boat for three weeks with her four-year-old sister just the two of them yeah to come over legally and do it legally to free the Nazis you know, yeah, so it's unbelievable. It's a tough unbelievable. One. All right, Michelle Tafoya, thank you for the debut. I appreciate it. Do you want to plug the podcast or everything you're doing? The you Michelle to... Tafoya podcast. Yeah. You can find it uh, anywhere that you download podcasts. We're on YouTube as well. Yep. So we'd love it if people would subscribe. It'd yeah. be great. Thank the... you for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, the YouTube clips are great. Like I said, I spent like an hour watch, got sucked in last night into the YouTube vortex watching some of your interviews. So it's great to do that. <laughs> uh, do you have any questions for me? I don't. Oh, okay. It's a little disappointing since you're a sideline reporter. I thought maybe like a little post game you might have something, you know, hey, what did you think of the interview? You know, How'd you do? Like reflect on the game. None of that though. Uh, okay. Now that you've sort of, uh, part of it is I, I probably I have, have to I go. Have time, yes. You've had enough of me. <laughs> you've had no, enough. I do. I, I hate saying that. If I, I, get I was going to be put on the spot like this, I would have prepared a question. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'll, I'll ask this one though. Okay. I will ask this. All right. How's your health, man? How's your health? Oh, my health is good. Thank God. It's been a great 2022 or 2023 after a bad 2022, but I'm on Humera, which has been doing pretty good. And Hey, today's bad. Hey, today I'm still today. I'm able to do this. So it's a good day. And, uh, just try to keep putting good days together. That's all you can do. See, that's I admire the hell out of that. I really do. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. You have a great Friday. I appreciate it all the time. Sorry I kept you too long. My bad. No, you're good. Thank <laughs> you so much. Right. Be well. I was a little too tall. Could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out 
She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own sudden way up high Way up firm and high Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy Working on mysteries without any clues All right, I think that's it. That is the last sportscasters for Bob Seeker. I just get too many messages from Spotify and they're gonna take a they're gonna take a podcast down eventually. And it's always because of this song, so it's time to replace it. Uh, next week it'll be a new song for the book club. All right, I want to thank Michelle Tafoya for being on the show. That was awesome. I uh, really appreciate her. And I'm gonna go through where we're at with the book club. All right, so first of all, first part of the book club is the book that I mentioned earlier which we'll talk about on the next show. It's called Kingdom Quarterback by Mark Dent and Rustin Dodd, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how a once-swinging cow town chased the ultimate comeback. Uh, I interviewed both of those guys together, and it will be on the next episode of the show uh, that will be come out the day that the Chiefs kick off the NFL season at Arrowhead against the Lions. Uh, also, one more time for this one. Uh, maybe two more. Who knows? Uh, Adam Lazarus's book, The Wingman, The Unlikely, Unusual, Unbreakable Friendship Between John Glenn and Ted Williams. It's now available. Uh, it's on sale. Every time we talked about it before, it was in pre-order. Uh, it's on sale. It's kicking ass. It's doing great. Uh, Adam's traveling around the country promoting it, and he's going to be uh, back on this show in a few weeks to draft Steelers and to really dig into this book, which is great, The Wingman. Uh, we'll talk about that. And if you want to see Adam talk about the book, he was on my YouTube channel, 3x5, um, which is currently on hiatus. Season 1 has been recorded of that show. Uh, my producer is on to football duty, so that's uh, off for now. But we'll, we'll hopefully come back in the spring. Uh, and Adam was on an episode of 3x5 to promote it. Uh, one more we've talked about already. Uh, it's called Freaks, Gleeks, and Dawson's Creek, How 17 Shows Transform Television. By Tia Glassman. Tia and I are going to record an interview on September 6th. Um, so she is going to come on to talk about Freaks, Geeks, Freaks, Gleeks, and Dawson's Creek. She'll be here to do that with us. And that will be on a future episode. Check that book out. It's great. Although it is slippery. Paul would tell you that. Um, the publisher reached out to me about this book by Marty Smith. Uh, the ESPN reporter. Now the best-selling author of a book called Never Settle. He's got a new one called Sideline CEO, Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. Uh, Marty Smith, we'll talk to him about this uh, later. So check out Sideline CEO. A little bit of a different book for us, um, but how about some leadership principles? Can't beat that. And then what I'm really excited about, and it's been a book a lot of people have talked about, uh, it's called Gambler, Secrets from a Life at Risk, by Billy Walters. Now, Billy Walters isn't going to be on, but Armin Katayan is, and he was the ghostwriter, I guess, of this book. Uh, he worked on it with Billy. We'll find out to what extent uh, Armin was a part of it. Um, but, you know, in my world, Armin's a bigger get than Walters. And Walters, he's not probably not coming on. You know, like he's been on 60 Minutes promoting this and, you know, here, there, and uh, wherever. You've probably heard the stories about, like, Phil Nichols Mickelson, like, I don't know, placing bets with him or whatever. 
Um, I'm going to read the book and we'll get into it with Armin in a future episode. So a bunch of books going, although they're going to start falling off quickly because we're going to interview the Chiefs guys. We're going to interview T.I. We're going to interview um, Adam and then we'll be down to two. Uh, and then we'll start filling up again because fall books will be coming. Christmas books will be coming. It'll get busy again. So that's where we're at now. And we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Stuart Mandel and preview the college football season. Our next guest is a graduate of Northwestern University. He's covered college football for CNN, uh, Sports Illustrated, Fox Sports, and he's now the editor-in-chief of the college football section at The Athletic. He's been coming on this show since 2011. He's a good friend, and he's here to preview the college football season with us. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Stuart Mandel. What's up, Stuart? How are you doing today, man? How are you? This is like a 12-year running tradition at this point. We've been doing this every August. You've been with me since 2011. We've been with you through a Amazing. few different jobs. Um, it's uh, It's been a long run, and I love doing it every year. And I think even last year we caught up during the season for a minute or two to see what was going on as well. Uh, so I always look forward to chatting with you. Let's start with realignment because there's been more and more of it this this off season um it, it never seems to end it seems like we've had the death of the pac 12 which sort of was a sports media story right i mean it sort of seems like they couldn't get a tv deal and the whole league fell apart um that's and, pretty much it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it in a nutshell here here's what i i want to know why couldn't football be its own why don't all these conferences the big 12 the acc why don't they all exist for the non-football and basketball or maybe even basketball, everything but football, let's say. And then you'd have like one big football league and maybe you split it up like into regions or something. Mm -hmm. And then football can be football and each of those little regions or whatever can get the massive TV deal still. And then the non football schools and on revenue schools can still like not have to worry about taking a trip from Cal to, you know, Virginia tech for, uh, well, you know, a rowing match or something. I don't know. Like why, why, why are we trying um, to keep all this? It obviously together? makes sense. You know, why, why don't we, why don't they just do that? Right. But nothing is simple in college sports. So that <laughs> would require unwinding. Um, you know, it would basically require a bunch of people, who only have their own interests in mind coming together and, you know, I mean, imagine like Greg Sankey and uh, Brett Yormark and Jim Phillips all in a room and they guys for the betterment of the sport as a whole, why don't we do some trades here? We'll, you know, we'll give you back uh, Oklahoma and Texas and you give back this team, and that team, and we'll put the conferences back where they should be in the other sports. You know, it's just, I hope it heads that way, but I think it will require foot, you know, basically a complete separation of football from the rest of college sports. And a lot of people think that should happen. Absolutely. Um, but I don't, I don't see it happening on a conference by conference basis. Um, 
I hope that the, you know, you've now got, if Stanford and Cal do join the ACC, you'll have, you know, former Pac-12 schools in three different conferences, none of which have other teams from their time zones. Right. Um, you know, it would make sense to me for those schools to get together. They don't hate each other and say, why don't we just keep playing each other in the other sports? But, you know, knowing college sports, it'll probably take like, First, they'll have to form a committee and then or a task force. And that committee will have to do, spend two years doing a report. And then they'll, you know, it's just nothing is simple in, in this enterprise. Yeah, like hockey as a Big Ten, that isn't necessarily yep. the same as the football Big Ten. You know what I mean? Not every school's in it. Um, or like hockey also has conferences that are unique to hockey. You know, so why couldn't, I don't know. College football. It's true. Like Notre Dame competes in the Big Ten and yeah. hockey, and there's a lot of that. So it's not it's not even really unprecedented, right? There's um, a thing called Hockey East, which obviously doesn't exist in any other sport, you know. And it's got BC, which would be ACC in it, right? It's got BU, it's got you know Massachusetts Lowell, which I don't know if that's even D one in some of these other sports, you know. Like you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. I mean, it should it should happen, and I think that. Um, what's happened over the last two off seasons because conference realignment, every time there's a big shakeup, people are like, ah, this is the end of the sport and this is awful and da, 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 da. But I would contend that every realignment move through 2021, even though you in Texas made some geographic sense when USC and UCLA went to the big 10, that was like, okay, we've changed the rules out the window. Now it doesn't yep. matter where out you're located. Yep. It's just all about TV ratings. And so obviously that was the first domino that led to the demise of an entire Western conference, but nobody with an ounce of common sense would say it's good for the sport for good for college sports. Forget football. Let's think about the other sports for there to be no major conference on the West coast and to just take those teams and like disperse them to other leagues around the country. You want to do that in football? Fine. Like it's four trips a year, play whoever you want, but softball, baseball, basketball, you name it, tennis, like keep those sports out here, out in the West, have them play each other. And that's what they would, that's what they want to do, right? Like I'm sure the Cal women's tennis team dies to play the Stanford women's team every year, you know, cause they're probably recruited similarly. That's a team that snubbed me. You know, I want to get back at them. College, yeah. college football needs a czar. You know, they need like some, a visionary at the top above everyone that can unite the sport and do things that make sense. But like you said, probably never happen. You wrote uh, with a colleague an unbelievable article that I read the other day about the quarterback that was originally going to go to Miami, I think, and then he switched to Florida, and now he's at Arizona State. And it was all this crazy NIL deal stuff. And I, I know, obviously, about NIL. I don't live in a gutter or anything. But I was blown away by some of the things I read in that article. First of all, like he gets this unbelievable deal in Florida. But the deal might as well be drawn up on toilet paper yeah. because it has this clause in it that essentially says, oh, by the way, we can just cancel this deal at any time for any reason, solely at our discretion. So did he, he didn't really even have a deal. You know, I don't. maybe they made a payment. Maybe they didn't. I don't even know. Um, anyway, he ends up at Arizona State. It has to play it off like that was his dream school, which luckily, since his dad played there, maybe some people believe that. 
And then he's there for no money right now, right? So he's still got to earn the NIL money somehow. Tell me more about this article because it just kind of blew me away. Um, how flimsy well, these deals are. Well, that was a big are. story. Yeah. yeah. Last um, January, February, I mean, we had kind of been, I had kind of been following because he was part, Jaden Rashada was part of basically the first recruiting class where NIL was a driving factor. And all these collectives started to sprout up at the various schools and boosters and, and some players, that wasn't as big a deal, more than less. But Jaden Rashada was one where the family clearly prioritized, you know, the dad in particular, who's going to give us the biggest check. Right. And I don't know that Jaden was even the one driving that, right? Other people around him were. They got, they started working with an agent. I mean, it's if you read that story on The Athletic, like the, the amount of characters that come in and out of that story Blew trying mind. to make a buck off this kid. Yeah. yeah. So it all culminates with him signing this preposterous contract with the Gator Collective, which we saw with our own eyes that, that they signed and would have paid $13.8 million over his career. And what's that's insane for anybody. I mean, that's NFL, uh, you know, rookie quarterback, first round quarterback money. Um, but he wasn't Arch Manning. Like he was a four star <laughs> right. player. They decided he who, wasn't good then all of a sudden in the article. Who, <laughs> recruiting analysts thought is great and some were mixed on and it never made any sense and it basically just became what it had become is like this this rivalry between florida and miami's boosters of you know, who can outspend the other uh, a dick so, measuring contest between those two teams the boosters yeah yeah so he ends up he ends up at p- picking florida that's where he wanted to go he had only committed to miami because of the money in the first place right and then lo and behold like nobody actually, when it came time to like cut the first check, nobody had actually, n- nobody had actually like put the money up. They, it's one thing just to put it in a contract; it's another to actually have the money. They didn't have thirteen million. They didn't have even close to thirteen million dollars lying around. So the deal fell apart. He ended up asking for his release from his letter of intent, and like you said, he ended up at Arizona State, where his dad played for nothing. Like there was no NIL deal involved there. That was just like he needed somewhere to play and. So the cool thing is, um, you know, the depth chart came out this week, and he's going to be Arizona State's starter, week yeah. one starting quarterback, which is not something we necessarily would have forecast eight months ago. And like I, when I when I read that, I was like, well, good for this kid because everyone's trying to drag him every different way. You know what I mean? And it felt like for once he just got to go on the field and do his thing, and it paid off. You know, one thing I noticed about these contracts, it, I think they're a lot like NFL contracts in the sense that you got to kind of ignore the big number. Because, like, even if we're just looking at this one, that would have assumed he played there for four years. Right. And usually right. if the player is as good as the money they're getting, they're not going to be there for four years. Right. For the most part, like if this was Caleb Williams deal, does anyone think Caleb Williams is going to play four years at USC? No. Right. You know, like, I just think that. That's something that I learned. Like, hey, you got to look closer at what that top headline number actually is. You know. So anyway, I don't think what we what we wanted to show is like what happens when all these bad actors get involved. I mean, there was yep. You know, he was working with an agent who was an undergraduate student at SMU. <laughs> I mean, how does that happen? Uh, I don't think it's the norm. Um, certainly. In a very, I mean, basically, that was all happening in the summer of 2022. And here we are, you know, late summer 2023. And I already think we've seen that the collectives as a whole 
you know, some of them, they were just like these mom and pop operations. The Gator Collective was like, I forget, it was like one guy who had no experience in this stuff running it. They're becoming much more professionalized, much more consistent. And I think not they're not not that they're not throwing money out there, but it's starting to make more sense who it goes to. I mean, Sam Hartman, if, you know, ace, all ACC quarterback wants to transfer, gets in the transfer portal. Yeah, he's going to make seven figures. Somebody's going to give him a lot of money because they know what they're getting. But throwing millions of dollars or even a million dollars at a high school kid. I think everybody recognizes is not your best, you know, not your smartest investment. Right. They better be a all world five in Arch Manning, like you said, if you're going to yeah. do that. Um, you know, one thing I, I was thinking about the other day, it seems like over the last couple of years, we've realized how powerful conference presidents are. I mean, if you think back to COVID, they were the decision makers on whether or not there would be seasons. You know, it was their names, it seemed like, that were attached to those decisions. Um, and obviously presidents voted and things like that, boards. But it seems like the face of the leagues, the face of college football more are the Sankeys. And if you have a good one, like the SEC does, you can be the SEC. And if you have a bad one, like apparently the Pac-10 did, who can't negotiate a TV deal, who maybe was, wanted – I mean, Marchand and um, Oran did a great job for months sort of tracking that. Um, and they end up with nothing, and now there really isn't a conference anymore. Have we seen sort of the rise of the the value and the importance of the conference president in this sort of like wild, wild west of realignment and and I, I don't um, know, all that's these a good things? question. Yeah. I think it varies conference by conference. Um, the SEC president basically entrusts Greg Sankey to do the right thing. You know, he's yeah. he's built that level of trust. Um, that was certainly the way it was in the Big Ten all those years under Jim Delaney. I think Kevin Warren did not inspire as much confidence. But it is true that in the Pac-12, for as long as I've been following it, for whatever reason, the presidents... I mean, in all these cases, the, the commissioner's boss is the presidents, right? But in, but I'm, what I'm saying is in the SEC, they pretty much like... They're, they're like the boss that just lets you go do your thing, right? Right. In the Pac-12, they call the shots, really, and George Klyovkov was taking his orders. And it's really, you know, Larry Scott, the former commissioner, gets a lot of blame, as he should. I think George Klyovkov deserves a ton of blame for basically what I can, from what I can tell, is the worst TV negotiation in the history of TV negotiations. <laughs> but it didn't come out, it wasn't happening in thin air. I mean, he had presidents who were demanding that he go get them $50 million per school, which was never realistic. Um you know, it comes down to the end and they have this Apple deal and uh, some of the presidents think it's an amazing idea. Some of them don't. Um, they, well, let's go back a step. I mean, I think a great example of this at work is, you know, that Pac-12 TV negotiations, they just kept going and going and going because he wasn't getting a good deal, right? So he's holding out for a better deal. Yep. And at some point, the presidents put like a, a deadline on him. Like, you have to have this done by July 31st. Well, that's all well and good unless the TV networks aren't ready to, to do a deal, right? And then, so basically, I think that the presidents put that deadline on him. And less than a week before the deadline, Colorado left for the Big 12. Colorado is one of the schools that voted to give him that deadline. And he's working around that deadline. And then they left. And then this other um, kind of like, he had this other arrangement that was going to be three or four different channels all involved fell apart 
So these presidents in the Pac-12, I think, have done nothing but undermine the previous two commissioners. And it's, it's either, you know, the mo- I don't know if that's just the model or the culture, or if they just don't trust the commissioners to go do their jobs. Interesting. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. And if we find that the leagues who do entrust the presidents and hire the better presidents, the better figures, the more confident people, those will be the, the, the conferences that succeed. By the way, one other like, great, but one yeah. other um, instance where I think the, the presidents overruled the commissioner in a good way was, if you remember, the, the expansion of the playoff to 12 teams seemed like it was going to be a very easy thing. And then it Almost the Big died. Ten was yeah. holding out. The ACC yeah. was holding out. These commissioners, they would hold meeting after meeting, and nothing would happen. And eventually, they'd reach a point where they're like, I guess we're just not going to do it. And it was actually the president of Mississippi State and a few of his counterparts that are on the board of the CFP who are like, no, 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 you're going to make this happen. And so uh, when they announced, it was almost about a year ago now, they announced the 12-team playoff is happening. It's happening in 2024. That was really driven by presidents, not the commissioners. Well, let's ring the cowbell for that man then, because I'm looking forward yeah. <laughs> to the, to the 12, uh, 12 team playoff. Let's talk about the teams a little bit. So Georgia, they're not necessarily unanimous, uh, but pretty close on both polls. They got sixty of sixty three in coaches and sixty one of the um, what is it uh, sixty six on the other poll. The, the, the schedule is soft, right? And the team is mm-hmm. as good or better than last year. Is there any like? Is there any doubt in your mind that? They got this right and that this is going to be the team all year that we just sort of say, can anyone beat them? Is that, is that I the mean, kind I of think season we're set a, up yeah. for? Yeah. They're, a great, they're going to be a great team again, but you know, there's a reason nobody's ever repeated. It's hard. And right. I think back to the 2005 USC team that the hype around you know, Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, the hype was so out of, out of this world that I think it weighed on them. And they didn't, there were cracks that were showing all year long. And people just kind of brushed it to the side because it's USC. And it took until the national championship game, until the last seconds of the national championship game. Right. But Vince Young in Texas, you know, exposed them. And we aren't going to really know how great Georgia is till probably maybe even the SEC championship game, maybe in the playoff, because of the competition. Like, they're just way more talented than most of the teams they're going to play, even in the SEC. But that doesn't mean they're going to breeze into the playoff and, whoever comes out, Michigan, uh, USC, whoever you think might emerge, that they're just going to roll through those teams. I mean, they were, if Ohio State makes a 50-yard field goal at the end of the Peach Bowl last year, um, Georgia's not winning the national championship. Yep. So as, as dominant, as much talent as they have, as many players as they put in the NFL draft, like you do need to catch some breaks. And um, I, I, I think that the odds are against them winning a third straight national championship, but it's not like, there's some other team out there that I'm like, yeah, that team's definitely better in Georgia. Right. And I know rankings change, and they will as the year goes on, but preseason, they don't play a ranked team until November 11th um, when they play That's right. Mississippi. So, you know, but obviously that's going to change week to week. Someone's going to probably emerge in that top 25 maybe uh, as we go through there. Uh, Michigan seems to be unanimous too. Um, they've had a, you know, Jim Harbaugh has been in and out of the news there. Um Obviously, they had the disappointing loss in the playoff last year, uh, but which was a win I think that the the Big Twelve desperately needed. I was glad to see it. But what do you think about Michigan um, this year? Yeah, you're right. They've had a weird off season for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's been with the really Harbaugh weird. stuff. Yeah. Even 
going back to um, January when one of their assistants got arrested. Remember that? Yep. <laughs> for for yep. Um, computer crimes. Um, but yeah, you know, you have Blake Corum coming back, Donovan Edwards coming back, J.J. McCarthy. I don't think got a lot of attention last year because they just weren't that much of a passing team until their Ohio State game when they didn't have Blake Corum and and you know J.J. Um, McCarthy beat Ohio State with his arm. So and then you got just an absolutely loaded defense. It's a it's a really good team. Um, you know, I do think that Ohio State and Penn State will have really good teams too, and it's going to be a heck of a race in that division. Um, but there's no reason why they can't three-peat within the Big Ten. Yeah, it's interesting. Both polls have Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama in some order. Uh, Alabama and Ohio State are flipped in the polls, kind of in their playoff spots. And then below that, they have the, the same next four as well, USC, LSU, Penn State, and Florida State, and Clemson as well. So the next five are the same in both polls. Not really original thinkers, no, these voters. No, I guess not. Of those five, is there a team that you really think threatens the other four the most? I mean, Ohio State is definitely still going to be a factor. Um, I am a little concerned that they haven't figured out who their starting quarterback is this late in the game. Um, but I think they'll be a factor. I think LSU has the potential. I mean, it, it may be that the team that has the best shot to dethrone LSU, uh, Georgia is in their own conference because, uh, you know, you look at LSU and they're just stacked at every position. They overachieved a little bit last year to get to 10 wins. I think that's the, the minimum this year. The team that I think is is ranked where they are solely because of who their jersey is is Alabama. Uh, there's nothing sure. about that team that to suggest they're the number four team in the country. They're not going to be terrible, but based on just returning personnel, based on who they lost, right? The number one pick in the draft, back, um, Jameer Gibbs, the number 12 pick in the draft. Will Anderson, I don't remember who was picked very high. And they don't really have an in, uh, a proven quarterback coming in to succeed Bryce Young, which is the first time in a long time that's the case for Alabama. So, I personally, I picked them to go nine and three, which they haven't done since 2010. Um, we'll see if I if Nick Saban makes me end up looking really dumb. But you know, I just I have faith in LSU. I have more faith in Ohio State. Um, the thing with USC, I, I I'm picking USC to go playoff. I'm very high on USC. I think though that there's not much separation at the top of the Pac-12 between them and Washington, um, them and Utah, them and Oregon. Like all any of those teams could be that team that finally breaks the, the pack playoff drought right as the conference is about to you know, go sure. out of business. The, the final farewell, the swan song. Does that snake Lincoln Riley, will he have a defense this year? <laughs> He's got more talent on defense for sure. Okay. I mean, some of the transfers they brought in, um, you know, last year was the, in the, he brought in all Caleb Williams and all these great players on offense. And this year in the portal, you know, they really focused on improving their defense, understandably so. And you get Mason Cobb was a really good linebacker for Oklahoma State. Um, Bear Alexander from, from Georgia. Anthony Lucas from A&M. Like, these are guys that definitely upgrade the talent. But I do think there's a question of, is Alex Grinch capable as a coordinator of putting together a good defense? Because he didn't do it at Oklahoma. Um, he certainly didn't do it his first year at USC. For whatever reason, Lincoln Riley, though, really believes in him. Um, they don't have to be dominant. They just have to be, you know, last year they were terrible. Right. So they have to at least get to the middle of the pack. As long as you've got Caleb Williams, 
you know, you're going to score a lot of points. Yeah, get a stop here and there. Yeah. Yeah, especially in that conference and the quarterbacks they're going to be facing week in and week out. Uh, Michael Panix, Bo Nix, Cam Rising, and so on. Yeah, you're going to need to make some stops. Do you have a team that didn't fare as well in the polls that you just don't understand why? That was, like, rated too low? Yeah, you just feel like they're better than what they're getting credit for this offseason. Um, let me take a quick look here. And you can um, do the opposite, right? You were on to Oklahoma last year. They were the team you picked up on that you... Well, now I think Oklahoma may be ranked a little too low. Okay. Um, <laughs> I 20s, expect them yeah. to be a lot better this year. Um, Oregon State is my... If, if people are saying, who's going to be this year's TCU? Um, okay. The one I always offer up is Oregon State. And Now, conference is tough, right? We just talked about all those teams. Right, Utah, Oregon. But they were the one team in the Pac-12 that had a legit defense last year. They run the ball, you know, Jonathan Smith's offense, they run the ball really well. Now they're bringing in DJ from Clemson, uh, who's definitely, as, you know, he had a rocky career, but he's definitely the most talented quarterback they've had there in a long, long time. And they play the most favor of all those top Pac-12 teams. They're the one that got the most favorable schedule. They miss USC in the regular season. And then all the other kind of best teams they play are coming to Corvallis. So if you're looking for somebody that's maybe, I mean, they're ranked 18th. I would probably have them closer to the top 10. It's be some good Pac-12 after dark football this year. seems like a lot of good teams out there this year. Um, That's the thing. Appreciate the last year of the Pac-12. It's going to be be really entertaining. Good season. Let's talk about Caleb Williams for a second because you got to go way back to the Ohio State running back um, to find someone who won back-to-back Heismans. And it seems like there's been players in good positions – um, dominant players come back and it just doesn't work out. Like I, I know I thought for sure Sam Bradford was going to win two in a row, and then he got hurt in the first game, came back, and then broke his collarbone against uh, Texas. Just didn't work out, right? It just seems like there's always some reason for these guys that it doesn't work out. But you know that I've said from the beginning, Caleb Williams is the real deal. I mean, I from the second I saw him, I'm fourth down, take that ball to the house against Texas. I mean, I just remember sitting up and thinking like, oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> wait a minute. And and it was all the way until his last moment at OU, you know, when he almost broke a run in that he almost won that last conference championship game by himself, you know, and that's even with a team where the snake coach had quit on them weeks earlier. So, I mean, I just think he's an amazing, amazing talent. It just seems like everything goes wrong for them, though. What do you think about? Caleb this year at USC. Well, the problem was, you know, the challenge of these guys that are trying to repeat as Heisman winners is that, you know, Caleb had an absolutely fantastic season last year, and now he's expected to do something even more special. Because right. if you it don't, it has to be better. Yeah, it has to be better. If it's not, the voters will just turn their attention to somebody new. Right? We're always looking for like the next, the next great thing. And look, I just said I'm picking USC to go to the playoff, but there's absolutely a world in which they go nine and three. And then he's not winning the Heisman. So um, it's, just, it's just the bar you have to clear. I think he could do it, but he's going to have to lead USC the playoff and be as dazzling, if not more so, than he was last year. And if he's not, then you know there's going to be somebody else, some, some other like um, flavor of the month that the voters gravitate toward. I know Texas is obviously has Quinn Ewers, and he's going to play. Uh, he's going to be their starter unless something happens. But do you think we'll see Arch Manning at all this year? 
I know people are going to be curious about him. What do you think of red shirt or what do you think his year is scheduled? Well, the thing is, I don't think he's necessarily the number two quarterback yet. Um, Maybe Malik Murphy. Okay. Malik Malik Murphy Murphy was, was came out of spring as the guy. Um, Doesn't mean Arch couldn't like pass him up at some point. Um, I'm really curious to see how Quinn Ewers does this year because his performance uh, last year did not live up to the hype. And yet the hype hasn't seemed to subside at all. He's, you know, as soon as the draft ended this year, all the, the mock drafts came out with him in the top 10 for next year. So, um, if he kind of has the kind of season people are expecting, you know, no, you're not going to maybe Arch Manning will get some, some garbage time snaps at some point. It becomes a bigger issue if he, if Quinn Ewers continues to be a like a 55% passer, who throws a lot of interceptions, because then, you know, there's going to be calls for him to come in. I don't know if, if they had to bench him, would, would Malik Murphy be the guy before? I'm not sure, but um, that's a big storyline going to this season. Maybe it's more likely, though, that in Oklahoma we see Jackson Arnold this year a little bit, maybe. Um, although, obviously, Daniel, you know, Gabriel is going to be the or Dylan, excuse me. Dylan Gabriel is going to be the starter, I would assume. Um, but you wonder if, if we see any um, any Jackson Arnold. And you were out on OU last year. You were right. You did flip-flop, I will say, after the Nebraska game a little bit. You were crawling Yeah, back. I shouldn't have. You should have held your ground. I shouldn't have get, yeah. gotten roped in. I, I didn't understand at that point just how terrible Nebraska was. Um, <laughs> right, which is fair. Which is fair. Last year, my prediction for them last year was all about just how. How much they lost. Yeah. Well, not just how much they lost, how radical a change they was going to be from the culture of, of Lincoln Riley, air raid guy, yep. you know, scoring 50 points a game and playing no defense. Venables, who is a defensive guy. And just a complete culture change. It really was. Um, that often doesn't go well. And that clearly in the first year, and that was obviously the case, but I, I'm, I think they can win nine or 10 games this year because they do have talent. They do have a great quarter. And now they've got an extra year in the system and, um, they got some good transfers that came in. You know, I think the pressure will be a little bit lower. I mean, he, um, because of the way Lincoln Riley left, you referred to him as a snake earlier. Oh, he's like, the worst. Just the there worst. was no, I mean, I just remember the reactions to my prediction was just like, are you crazy? Lincoln Riley was checked out anyway. This guy's going to be such a big improvement. And that was just never realistic for the first year. I'm not saying they had to go six and seven. But it was always going to be a, a big culture change. But now, you know, year t- that doesn't mean I don't think Brett Venables can't be a great coach there. So we'll see how much they improve in year two. Yeah, and I think I even said last year when we were talking, this like, look, at I can't gush about Caleb Williams the way I am and not admit it's going to be a drop off no matter who it is to not have him there. You know what I mean? And that was just, uh, yeah, that was just, you know, obviously the most important. We focus on quarterbacks so much, but, you know, and, um, Gabriel never really stayed healthy last year, unfortunately. Sort of got injuries banged up and never got a full year. Was there a team that sort of won the portal this year? Is there a team that just crushed it with the transfers and it's going to be the difference in their season because of it? I mean, it's it's a big reason why I'm so high on LSU. They really, okay. they really like. It wasn't just about like turning over the roster because they have a they had a pretty good team. In fact, they did. Brian Kelly did very well in the portal last year in getting Jaden Daniels, among others. But I mean, you got Omar Spates was a, I believe, three-time All Pac-12 linebacker at Oregon State, and you're just going to plug at LSU right next to the other great linebackers they have. Um, almost like a luxury item, but Logan Diggs, who was the second-leading rusher for Notre Dame last year, 
you know, up and transferred there after the spring. Um, Deuce Chestnut will probably be a starting corner in from Syracuse. Uh, they just, whatever holes that he did have, he went out and found somebody that could fill them. And a lot of times what we see in the portal, and this is good too, nothing wrong with this, but you'll, you'll see teams go get like a, like Jared Verse at Florida State came from FCS and he's going to be, he's a preseason All-American. That's one way to go. But what LSU did was basically just take power five guys. Like these guys are already, we already know they're good power five players and now they're coming here. So yes, um, that's a big reason why I like their roster. One more thing about the portal, because it's an interesting year for freshman quarterbacks. We've talked about a couple. I mean, Malik Murphy, he was once an OU recruit, ends up at Texas with Manning. Those guys aren't going to stay at Texas the whole time. I can't imagine. Um, who's going to be the first QB? Not necessarily one of the Texas guys, but in general, who do you think is going to be the first freshman QB or the big, the first big recruit from this year that hops into the portal? A recruit that just signed? Yeah, like you know, th- this year's incoming freshman. You know, the everyone's oh class was like, oh, we we got all these five stars, and then oh, that guy's going to leave because, by the way, you brought in two five star quarterbacks, and I don't want to stay because I didn't win the job. You know, you know how it happens. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I mean, there's no way Malik Murphy and Archie Manning are going to stay at Texas, right? Well, I think the plan is for Quinn Ewers to turn pro after this, year. Okay. Uh, and then Arch Manning succeeds him. So, so then why does Malik Murphy want to be there? Great question. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> a great question. You know, Malik Murphy. Malik Murphy might feel like he can. He'll become the starter at some point this year, right? And then. He'll get a chance to showcase himself and, and dip and out if he can't yeah. and then skip out. Yeah. Even if he can't beat out Arch Manning, but I mean, I'm just looking at this list. Like now, you know, Nico at Tennessee, I've heard nothing but great things. And I don't think he ever expected to start as a true freshman. Dante Moore might start as a true freshman at UCLA. You mentioned Jackson Arnold at Oklahoma. Um, Malachi Nelson came in fully knowing he's going to wait a year behind um, Caleb. So I don't know that I necessarily just look at this list and I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to transfer. That guy's going to transfer. Right. It's got to be uh, one of the Dil- Texas guys. Yeah. I guess one would be Dylan Longer in Alabama. He, as of now, is the fourth string quarterback. So if he's still the fourth string quarterback at the end of the year, maybe he looks elsewhere. But um, that's that's a tough thing to predict. I think the Texas situation is pretty. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be watching that. That's that's that seems like something that's going to boil over at some point all right a couple of quick ones and i'll let you go give me a couple if if, if all goes wrong and caleb doesn't repeat who are some other names you think can be um in new york for heisman come december well if Jaden daniels can take lsu to playoff I, he would be the kind of guy that would certainly fit that profile um you know i think marvin harrison jr at ohio state has a chance to be this year's yeah Devonte smith um for sure but we don't. It, I would. I feel a little better finding who Ohio State's quarterback was going to be. You know, it will be interesting if Michigan goes to the playoff. Who who would be the candidate? Because Blake Corum's their star player, but running backs, it's very hard for them to win the Heisman at this point. Um, certainly, if if it's not USC coming out of Pac-12, if it's a Washington, then you're looking at Michael Panks Jr. If it's Oregon, you're looking at Bo Nix. Uh, I mean, the thing about the Heisman race now is like it's pretty hard to win it if you're not on one of those four playoff teams, or at least a team that is in contention right down to the end. Right. You mentioned the Ohio State thing a couple times. Who do they want to win it? I mean, it looks like they got, what, six guys there. You know, almost all classes. You got freshman, sophomore, you got a junior, you got a senior, a couple seniors. 
Like, is there someone they thought would take it and hasn't? You know, is there a guy that the fans really want? Like, what's go- why doesn't Ohio State have a quarterback? Because they have two guys who are both really big-time recruits, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. Kyle McCord in the spring sure seemed like he had the lead, uh, but they seem to have, I mean, from everything Ryan Day says, they're just dead even. And sometimes okay. when that's the case, you don't, you know, Nick Saban's kind of in the same boat, right? Like, whoever is the quarter, they, they might play both. They, you, the, the audition may continue into the season. You get some Tom Brady, um, Drew Henson stuff or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I'm surprised. I think it's a good, it's interesting because I think it's a good sign for Ohio State because that means Devin Brown made up some serious ground since the spring. He was hurt in the spring, so he didn't really get a chance to showcase himself. With Alabama, I mean, the reason I'm really concerned about them is, you know, Nick Saban clearly wasn't happy with who he had, so he brought in a transfer, right, after spring ball, Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. You do that if you think the guy can win the starting job, and he's third string. So it's the same guys that he wasn't happy with in the spring, mostly Jalen Milrow, who's probably going to be at the head of this quarterback competition. It's crazy with all the great young freshman quarterbacks that came into college football this year. Nick Saban couldn't get his hands on one. I mean, he's got freshman quarterbacks, don't get me wrong, but I guess not one of the big, huge, sexy names that would have been a starter in this group, I guess. Um, Wild. All right. Uh, who are your four playoff teams? My four playoff teams are uh, Georgia, Michigan, Penn State as a as a well, like eleven that. and one team yeah, that, like that, that doesn't win the division, and USC. Okay, that'll be really interesting if Penn State ends up being in for the Big Ten, and the other two are not. Very fun, very fun. Stuart Mandel covers college football for the Athletic. And like I said, there's an amazing article right now if you're into the intricacies about the NIL. Uh, who is your colleague you worked on that with? It was two two names on the byline. Oh, it was many people on that okay. one, actually. Oh, right. um, Andy Staples, who's no longer at the Athletic, was was one of them, the big ones, Bruce Feldman. And that's that's one of the most collaborative stories I've ever worked on. Interesting. It was great. I mean, I it was one of those where it's like, okay, I got my money's worth this month. You know, and that seems to happen every month with the athletics. So I'm sure there's a code out there you can find if you're interested in signing up. You can follow Stuart on Twitter, of course. Anything well, else? I'll give you a little. I'll give people a little tip, a little okay. scoop. Yeah, I'm probably not supposed to, but we do have it um, every so often. They do like a dollar a month sale. Yeah, and I I know there's one beginning on Monday that to, to go into the start of the college football season. There you go, beautiful, and that's a ridiculous deal, by the way. I mean, that's just what can you buy a dollar for in 2023? <laughs> No, and it's, I mean, it's hundreds of stories, as you know. Like, yeah, every you get day, everything. Hundreds you of don't stories. just get Stewart. Yeah. yeah, you get everything. You don't just get college football. I mean, nope. we cover everything. Yep. And it's great writers and it's great journalism. So, I mean, I, if I were a fan, I would gladly pay full price. But, hey, if you can get get in on the, uh, the first-year promo, go for it. Listen, I appreciate it. I appreciate today, all 12 years we've been together. Uh, let's talk during the season and see what's going down. And, um, and have a great season. Enjoy it. It's almost right. here. You too. It's finally appreciate here. You always. Yeah. I pre- yeah. I appreciate you reaching out all the time. All right, Stuart. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. All 
All right, I want to thank Michelle Tafoya. And I want to thank Stuart Mandel for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can listen to this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. Email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at sportscasters. And you can leave a five-star review if you can on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Don't forget to check out the 24-inch podcast. It's available on the Sportscasters feed on SoundCloud and wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Twitter at 24inchpodcast, Instagram 24 underscore inch underscore podcast. You can email us 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. And on Facebook, just search the 24-inch podcast and join our group. That show, of course, is hosted by Dave Rollins, Steve Bennett, and and Paula Bennett. And the beautiful Paula Bennett is on as well. All right. It's been a great show. Stuart Mandel was on the show. Stuart like Stuart Little? Just like Stuart Little. And, of course, <laughs> Michelle Tafoya was on the show. Like, like Michelle from um, my friends, um, Michelle from Sun, what's her name? Mich- Michelle from my friend Summer and Connor's mom. Yes. There we go. Exactly. And she likes wine. She likes wine. One last thing from Paula and I today, and that, of course, is that it's back to school time. No, no. Hold on. I want to talk about this, Paula. Just listen. Just follow Dad's lead a little bit here. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm also going to say some things. I want you just to follow along. So it's been a good summer. Um, I've had a lot of fun with Paula this summer because – Tammy worked outside the house for probably, well, for like, what, four weeks while she was in program. And then also last week when she was doing, um, like, I don't know what you call it, trainings and stuff. So Paula and I were together during the day, a ton of days this summer. And I think we had a lot of fun. We went to a lot of daddy-daughter lunches. Uh, you know, we ran a lot of errands. Um, I took her back and forth to her summer program. I uh, took her to a bunch of eye appointments. Uh, we did a lot of different Can things. Can you not talk about my eye? Sure, we, we won't talk about your eye, honey. Doctor's appointments, how about that? Yes, better. Okay. Um, it's been a great summer with her. My birthday. Yeah, we had her birthday. And you know, you have to look back to last summer, I think, because last summer in 2022, I wasn't healthy. You know, I had surgery the day after Paula's birthday on June 17th last year. And it took me all summer to recover from that. So I didn't have a summer last year, but I did this year. And I spent it with my daughter, and we had a great time. I loved it. So I'm sad to see her go. I'm going to miss her. When that bus comes tomorrow morning, um, I'm going to miss I'm gonna miss her. I'm going to cry probably when she goes back to school. I'm going to cry the whole day because I'm not going to. I don't want to be there. You're going to do great, though. You've learned so much this summer. You got so much better at reading and writing, and your cognitive ability got so much better. It's going to be your best year ever. It's going to be your first year without COVID, without a teacher going into the nutty bin, without something interrupting it. You're going to have the full year. You got a great teacher. We went to, um, Paul and I had a drop off day. We dropped off all our supplies. We met the teacher. She's a super nice teacher, she's an Italian lady. Yeah. We don't really know. Sorta. No, she's Italian. Okay. I know. I sniffed it out. She's a paisan. Dad, I don't think he 
No, she is. Her name is Castronova. Castronova. Uh. Okay. Right. Um, but she's great regardless. She seems like a great teacher. I think you're going to do great there. You're worried about the bus, but one of your good friends is like the next stop. So you're going to be either alone on the bus for like... She's not the next spot. Okay, two stops. Five stops, actually. No, it won't be five. Yes, it she's is. Out, she's right down the street. How could they stop five times? We have a... Oh. Oh. Then you pick Scarlet. up your friends in Grandma's neighborhood as well. Scarlet's in Grandma's neighborhood. Okay, and the girl that lives down the street is not. She's down the street. It's going to be fine. She's not in the school anymore. Oh, stop. She is, too. The old, the third grader's not in the school anymore. The one that took a video of me but, on the bus. But the sister is. No, I don't. She does not have a sister. Okay. Well, it's going to be great. She's going to do great. She's going to learn so much. She's growing up so fast. Um, and I really don't want to go to school at all. The point is, is that dad's going to miss her. And even though she's acting like she's going to miss dad by the second period of school year, she's going to be so happy to be back and she's not going to miss me. And pretty soon she's not going to need me as much. And pretty soon she'll be a teenager. She won't be want to be around me. I'm going to be uncool and embarrassing. And she's gonna be like, dad, why don't you stay back there? Don't get too close to me and my friends. She's gonna yeah, be a snotty I'll never teenager. be like that. Okay, make sure that's recording, right? Let's make sure that's recording. I'm going to play that for her in six years when she's telling me how embarrassing I am. No, you're not. You're not embarrassing. You're beautiful. Well, thank you. That's very nice. But we had a great summer is the point. Um, and I love my daughter and had so much fun with her. We did snacks so many times, which is something special that just her and I do. We get up late at mm-hmm. night. We go out to the living room, we eat cereal, watch YouTube videos and wrestling and Mr. Beast or whatever's on there. And we just have fun together. And I'm going to miss her. I'm going to miss her at night. That's what I'm going to miss her. Like in the night when she's got to be in sleep for bed. And I don't have a friend for snack. But the good news is we can still do it on weekends. Weekends and, and vacations. I- and I think I do have a three, um, a three day weekend on like the second week of school or like the third. Columbus Day is coming up. You have yeah. a three day weekend there. Three. So I don't think I gotta worry too much about it yet. Yeah, there's gonna be plenty of times so we're gonna have fun. But here's, so I'm gonna miss her, and that's a little bit of bad news. But here's the good news: she's growing up. She's such a smart, beautiful, pretty girl. She's gonna do so good this year. I already have s- a phone, and I'm seven. She's going to make me so proud. She's going to make all the listeners proud. Um, do they even know me that well? Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, you probably talked about them when I was a baby and I couldn't talk yet. Yeah. <laughs> I've been talking about you on here before you even existed. When you were just then in I the belly. I have a question. Yeah. Please don't show this when I'm a teenager and I'm on the free by five with you. Please don't show me a picture of when I was seven. Please don't. Okay, I won't. I promise. I think you will. All right, that's it for tonight. We'll be back on Thursday. We're going to have Tyler Dunn and uh, the two dudes who wrote the Chiefs book. 
I don't know if Paula will be here or not. I think I might. Or she might be in bed because we'll, we'll see when we record it. Or we could just, I can just do the hey now and hi guys. Do you want to give the people a message? I don't want to go to school.